Oh yeah, here we go, practice acquisition. There are pitfalls throughout the entire process. If you want to buy a practice, this is how, folks. Acquisition Unscripted, the truth when buying and selling a dental practice. And now your host, Michael Dencio. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Acquisition Uncensored. I'm super excited about this episode. We've got Robert Montgomery, a legend in the industry, top attorney in the country, helping doctors just like you put together legal documents from associate contracts all the way to purchasing your own practice, buying your own building. Um, awesome resource for you, so stay tuned. We talked about a lot of awesome things like... Um, you know, the, the pros and cons of having a super detailed contract versus open, open-ended detail, uh, open-ended contract. We talked about how you could get too aggressive, um, but maybe too lenient as well throughout the process and what, where that happy balance is throughout the whole journey of an acquisition, uh, purchase and sale agreement. I, he just gave us so many good tidbits. We talked about lawsuits, uh, post-close and what that looks like. My favorite probably quote is as he helps you or, or your dental attorneys help you, controlling the process saves you money. And that's really important because oftentimes my clients, dentists think, I don't want to get my doc, my attorney involved because it's expensive. And the bottom line is if your attorney can control the process, you will actually save money. And so I think that was a huge tip. I'm super excited about this episode. Let's get it started. And by the way, as always, remember, follow us, review us on iTunes. We're on YouTube. We're on pretty much every channel. Um, You can also check out Startup Uncensored, which is a great podcast all about startups. Let's get this party started. All right, all right. Welcome to another episode of Dental Acquisition Uncensored. I'm Mike Dincio, your host, and today I am super excited about today's interviewer. Uh, we are going to break down a purchase and sale agreement, and hopefully uncensored style. We're, we're, I'm going to try to get an attorney to go outside of his box and maybe give you some tips and tricks that uh, could really help you throughout this process, but. As you, as you know, we're working through the process of an, of an acquisition from start to finish and legal is so important. We're interviewing a couple attorneys on, on the show and uh, this particular attorney, I have a ton of respect for um, and you all know him. He's got a, a successful podcast himself, uh, Mr. Robert Montgomery himself. He is uh, the owner and founder and, and runs a, a very successful firm as seven attorneys under his banner. Um, he, you can reach him at your dental attorney.com. And, uh, the, 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 the reason I got a hold of, uh, Rob, because he and I are podcasters and you got, you all have probably heard his podcast dental amigos. So, um, I could keep going on and about this guy, but why don't I just introduce him? Robert, nice to meet you. Thanks for being on the show. Michael, thank you. It's uh, nice to be here. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. How, what's it what's it like to be the interviewer instead of the interview or the interviewee instead of the interviewer is it different 
You know, it's not all that different because our podcast, like yours, Michael, is is very unscripted. So uh, I think if we had one of those podcasts that required uh, me to do a long outline of questions and preparation, I, I might say otherwise, but we kind of roll uh, like you and uh, probably, I'm not even going to admit how little time we spend <laughs> preparing. I do a rough outline of the things we want to cover. I show it to my podcasting partner, Paul Goodman. And um, he, he looks at it for about 15 seconds, and then we tell my paralegal, <laughs> hit play, and away we go. So, isn't uh, isn't that nuts? How little? I mean, wh- we're saying it's super easy, but this is actually hard stuff. I mean, you're always on. You can't say something too bad, even though this is uh, acquisition uncensored. But right. it it's difficult, but it's fun. And, and why do you guys do it? I, I know why I do it. I let give the audience why you guys do it. Yeah, it's it, so it, like Paul and I have been friends for, you know, I think like 12 plus years. As I said, the, the COVID like time warp is kind of you know, interfere with my sort of timeline of a lot of things, but I think it's like 12 ish years. Uh, and, you know, over time, you know, Paul was always a very, uh, very good about uh, running continuing education courses in person, you know, back in the old days, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, ran a, uh, was very involved with a a residency program at Albert Einstein Hospital in Philadelphia. So he's always, even when he was a younger dentist, he was really focused on that. So we found ourselves a lot of times sitting in the back of a cab. That's how far back we're talking about. Not an Uber, Michael. (laughs) Yeah, not an Uber or a Lyft. Right. right. Going someplace, talking about deals or issues or things that came up in the course of of a dental practice, me from a lawyer's perspective, Paul from uh, from a practicing dentist, and said, you know, like, it'd be really cool if we were able to record this conversation, so that people could sort of eavesdrop and hear about like, what, you know, two friends, one a lawyer, one a dentist who are in the back of a, a cab, sitting at a bar having a beer or talking about, yeah. and, um, and that that would just be fun content. And so that's yeah. when we started doing it. And and thirteen years later, it's crazy. I'm I'm on year three, and it, it uh, I love it. I'm addicted. I think it's about giving back to the industry. For me, mm-hmm. it's um, it's also putting out great information, and and I know that can be a blessing and a curse. We we were talking before I hit record today, and that could get into some trouble. Taking everything we say, black and white, uh, everybody's scenario is different, and so you got to be careful about free information. But for the most part, it, you know. The information that you get um, is spot on with 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 uh, quality um, professionals in the industry. So big picture, I yeah. Just well, let me let me stop you there for a second, Mike. If I could. Yeah. So it's probably a good good time for me to throw in the 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 lawyer the you know, lawyer disclaimer, yes. right? Do it. Do um, it. So you know, while I'm a lawyer, we're going to be talking about some legal issues here today. Um, this what we talked about shouldn't be deemed to be legal advice to any of you. You know, this is we're talking about things and generalities for educational purposes. You know, like you said, every deal, every situation is different. You should consult with a lawyer before you make any major decision about your specific uh, project or, or deal. And um, as I said, you know, we've had times over the years where people will say, hey, Rob, you said, say to me, and I look, I'm like, my notes, like, when do we talk about this? Oh, not podcast. No, no, no. No. Yeah. Uh, but I think too, you know, what we did talk about also, Michael, is that, you know, I think it's a good thing for people like us that, uh, our listeners get to, to hear us talk, hear what our mindset is, what our philosophy is in a business legal world that 
they, they could say, yeah, I, I'm on the same page. I like that. You know, and there's going to be people that that listen to uh, Michael Dincio and, and Rob Montgomery like, oh, I don't know any parts of those guys. And that's cool. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, yeah. there yeah, are other people good. out there that do what we do. You should you should work with people that you uh, are like minded with and that you like to work with. And so um, and while it, this obviously is, you know, for everybody's uh, enjoyment, uh, I find that it's really a great thing for people to be in sync with us and kind of know kind of how we go about our, our business before, uh, before they reach out to us. I, I love that. I, I, uh, I couldn't agree with you, you more. Um, and, and yes, it is uncensored. So I'm glad you threw out that disclaimer, sir, because maybe we could get you into some uncomfortable spots today and we can always fall back on that disclaimers. Uh, but yeah, so I have to say seven attorneys you cover nationwide with the exception of California didn't know that it's good to know but license in 18 states like that uh, that's crazy um crazy awesome so folks we have we have a, a legend in the net in the industry today so let's 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 buckle up and let's get into it i i always say let's get right into it because i we're probably we're we're probably um getting people in their car rides and um we only have a short minute or two to catch people's attention so with all that being said let's get into the purchase and sale agreement um you know purchase and sale agreement is like the marriage certificate i always say when 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 you're going through the process and you're looking at practices you're dating um uh actually no you're actually just having coffee call it uh the pre-dating you're just looking at practices call it what it is um and then i'll submit uh an offer we'll we'll hopefully get that practice uh and then we go through that due diligence and that's really when you're dating during that due diligence phase um and then you get married at the end of this and that's the most important piece to the whole process um it's it's your marriage certificate and it's the rules of what we're what what we're we've laid out up to that point. Robert here protects you. So Robert, give us like kind of like the idea and the philosophy around like how to approach just big picture a purchase and sale. Uh, I'm lofting one up. You could take it anywhere you want, but how important is that purchase and sale document? Yeah, uh, it's one of those things that if it's not done properly, uh, it could be a problem. Uh, I will tell you as a lawyer, you know, there's. It shouldn't be too terribly challenging. Uh, if it is, then that might be a sign of a, of a bigger problem. I mean, I think it's important for a practice buyer to have their lawyer prepare the initial draft of the agreement. You know, it's something that we feel strongly about. I think there are a lot of dentists that feel, you know, and it's counterintuitive to some extent. I realize that it might be cheaper or better for them to allow the seller to prepare the initial draft of the agreement. But it's the buyer that needs the protection in this deal. And it's the buyer's lawyers that are going to need to do what needs to be done after the agreement is signed to get you to the closing. And for us, it's always easier and faster and turns out better for us to use our documents to protect our buyer clients than to uh, have to work off of somebody else's documents. And I think one of the best examples, I think, of you know, to show you kind of why that is, I mean, think about this as a seller and a seller's lawyer, how would you draft the covenant not to compete 
in an asset purchase agreement if you represent the seller. I mean, anything that you do that really has teeth and really gives the buyer protection is just bad for your seller client. So, I mean, I think that really exemplifies why it's better to uh, to have your buyer, as a buyer, your lawyer, do the draft. And uh, most lawyers are charging on the basis of an hourly uh, an hourly rate. Uh, and so time is money. And if it's more efficient for your lawyer to do what needs to be done to protect you, then that's what should be happening in these deals. I like I like that comment, Rob, because I I think that I get a I get a lot of this with my buyers, my clients is like, well, I don't really want to get my attorney involved because the, the the clock starts tip ticking and they get like nervous about using their attorney. So they, they made a good decision in getting an attorney involved and then they start getting protective of that attorney's time. But I think what you just said, nailed it. I'll reiterate it in a different way. By having your attorney draft the purchase and sale, they're gonna be very comfortable working with their document. So wouldn't it make sense that that would save you time through the process? Is that ultimately what you're saying? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And Michael, and then, then, you know, kind of that manifests itself in other ways too, as you say it that way, because it's really, the whole process works better if we're allowed to manage it and deal with, there's one channel of communication where, where our clients try to do things, you know, in their well-intentioned to to stave off issues or to have conversations with the seller. They think that they're solving problems. They don't realize a lot of times they're creating problems. And, you know, if we're left to our own devices, we know how to run a deal. We know what needs to be done and when, and we can just do it. You know, Uh, when we have to try to put the genie back in the bottle, so to speak, um, that's where things start to get bumpier. That's where things start to get more costly and more problematic. So for us, if somebody says, hey, you are, you tell me what to do, you take ownership of this, then we're, that's in a better position than us. Now, that's not to say that we don't want our clients to have their head in the game. We want them to, to be focused. We want them to be reading what we send. We want them to ask questions. We want them to be informed. We want to counsel them. Uh, it doesn't mean that they just sort of peace out and say, hey, you know, they're doing it and I don't, I'm not worried about anything. Like we still want them to participate, but, mm-hmm. you know, it is more efficient and, you know, uh, and it'll turn out better too. I mean, I, I always analogize it when I talk to new clients of this issue. It's just like the dental profession. Do it yourself right the first time and it will go faster. It will be smoother and it will turn out better. Try to fix somebody else's bad work, takes longer, it's more aggravation, and takes more time and doesn't turn out as well. So like, where's the upside to that? Um, So it's an important thing. And I will say also, it goes beyond just the document itself. For us, our document is also our roadmap to get a deal done, you know, Mm -hmm. And, and it may not be obvious to the people uh, that are reading the agreement for the first time, but we have processes baked into that document as to what we need to do, what we need to deliver, what we need to get that makes it a lot more efficient for us on our end than if we're trying to basically work with somebody else's set of rules, so to speak. I I want to transition. You said something that was leading me directly to my next question, and and it and it is I. I oftentimes find myself, you know, as the buyer's rep, 
I'll find myself in an A role and then a B role. And when it gets to the legal process, I'm in a B role at that point. You're the A, you're in the A role or whatever, quarterback, running back, right? I, I'll go to the running back position. You're the quarterback when it hits legal. And I don't, I don't like to helicopter anybody in that process as a consultant because naturally that's your game. But I do get clients, two different clients. I get the clients that read every sentence and critique your work to the T and almost drive their, frankly, their bill up and create all kinds of chaos to the seller and the seller's attorney. And you're trying to maintain those expectations also, but also you're trying to please your client. And then I get the other client that is literally not not even involved at all and it's like dude you got to read this stuff and they'll send it to me and i'll be like okay i know what this says i can read this but you need to read like only you are going to care about this deal more than everybody else you care about it more than me you care about it more than rob it's your life you know and so those are the two profiles yep walk me through the dangers of both of those profiles well, I, I'm going to say that happily, Michael, there is a third profile, which is oh, okay. the happy medium. Right? Yeah, of course, so, of course. So of course. thankfully, they're not all at those extremes, but we deal yeah. with those extremes as well. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think to the sort of, we'll call them the micromanager. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, again, we like people to have their head in the game, but realize as a legal consumer that sending a one sentence email that is an open-ended question that calls for a long narrative is not necessarily uh, in your best interest. You know, like, you know, there, and and there's a lot of things obviously that get done by email today. I'm not gonna, you know, sound like a Luddite and, and, you know, say that technology is bad. I mean, there's definitely good uses for technology and there's a great time to reach out to your, your team via email. Uh, and there's certain questions that are appropriate for email, but, to ask an open-ended question as to why does the agreement, why is it important for the agreement to have a covenant not to compete? I mean, somebody could write an entire book about that, Michael, you know, like, and so you don't want to ask questions that invite an hour long written response. You know, I think a lot of times it's better to say, Hey, I have a lot of questions about this. I want to go through a number of things. Can we schedule a call and let's talk about that. And then, you know, you can rattle off, 10 things maybe in 20 minutes that, you know, could take hours literally of the back and forth that, you know, it's just not efficient for anybody. And, you know, we don't like necessarily doing that either. I I think a lot of people have this misconception that like we get really psyched when it like it takes more time to do something. We don't, you know, even though we are paid on on an hourly basis, we like dentists would prefer things go smoothly and efficiently, you know? So like, Brain damage in any way is not our our preferred course. So, you know, I think you know being mindful that you don't want to send get into this sort of like back and forth email exchange where there's like you know this open ended eight, ten, twelve messages going back and forth to your lawyer. It's just not efficient for anybody. You know, save them up. You know, try to get you know a conversation where you can talk about those things try to be a little more economical with how you, how you're pinging your, uh, your team. So, so that's perfect. What about the dangers of folks that have no hands on? We just talked about the person that's 
extreme, like, like getting into the weeds and, and cr creating chaos for both sides. What about the other extreme? Totally. You know, look, we are here as consultants. You know, you and I, we're, we're in the same business in this regard. I mean, I happen to be consulting on legal issues. You're consulting on business issues. But, you know, we are only as good as the information we get, you know, understanding our clients, what's important to them and why. And to the extent they're focused on the deal and they're able to communicate that to us, then we're able to serve them better. You know, and what's good for Dr. Smith is not necessarily good for Dr. Jones. What, you know, Dr. Johnson cares about, you know, Dr. Lee may not give two hoots about. So uh, it's important to communicate and for us to understand kind of where they're coming from. And, you know, I'm going to take this a step further, not to sound like, you know, an alarmist with this, but, you know, <laughs> I will tell you, you know, we, we help people with transitions. We help buyers. We help sellers. We help people with startups. We help people with partnerships. We help people with employment agreements. We counsel people on HR things. We see kind of the whole dental legal business world. Uh, no good ever comes to the practice owner who is completely checked out from the affairs of their business. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. the people who, you know, end up being victims of, of fraud within their office, they have other problems that are business problems where they weren't focused on what was going on in their business. They're, they have problems, you know, like it's no secret that, you know, the office manager steals from the person who has given them the opportunity to steal from. So I, just going to go out, sort of take a flyer here, Michael. If you're that kind of person, you're that uninterested in this part of the process. You know, you may want to take a big step back and 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 see: Are you really going? Are you really going to be interested in being a practice owner and doing all the things that you need to do to keep your eye on the ball to be successful? I I couldn't echo that more, Rob, because I'm not going to lie. I've had clients, absolutely, that I sat there and thought. They hired me to pretty much do this whole thing and I want them to have more involvement. I'll do my job because they've hired me to do that. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, why, why are you going through this process? Is it because your buddy is the owner? Is because, because um, like what, like it's okay to be an associate. It's, it's mm -hmm. absolutely okay to be an associate. And um, if you have the aspiration, we are so pro ownership everything that we do at next level and this podcast is is hope is helping to promote the the person that wants to get into ownership but it's also okay not to uh to get into ownership and you really do have to to grab the the bull by the horns and so there are those two extremes i'm glad you brought up yes of course there's that happy medium and so i tend to be extreme an extremist rob just to prove a point <laughs> so yeah. i think everybody knows that about me um but but yeah I, I get very frustrated when when people don't grab grab the bull by the horn so thank you for that i i've got two more things i want to cover in this episode and we've got we've got good time here one question that i have kind of similar to what where we just landed is i find that and i work with attorneys all over the country and i find that like here in seattle on the pacific northwest we tend to be purist our contracts are very very detailed almost outlining every single thing and then i'll go to like an arizona state where it's very dso friendly and it's like 
the contracts are much shorter. And so I'll just kind of see this and you've got to see it too, because you work all over the country. Mm-hmm. And so here's my question is, are you philosophy wise, where do you where do you sit at? Go in with a lot of detail up front to make the deal go faster and outline everything or keep it open ended so that um, there's a lot of interpretation. I get that a lot. And I'm curious from from you, Rob, what, what's your approach? What's your philosophy at the firm? Well, this is going to be the theme of the show, Michael. I like the happy medium, right? Yeah. I like the middle. <laughs> no, um, you're being such a politician. No, I'm joking. <laughs> you're you're right. There is a happy medium, and I tend yeah. to go extreme. But let's talk about both. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I the, the things the, the contract itself should be detailed. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I any agreement that two people could look at, two reasonable people could look at, and come away with a different interpretation as to its meaning is a bad agreement. I mean, it, and that's a ticket to a lawsuit. You know, two people interpret a contract differently. That is also known as a dispute, a dispute that may make it to court, a dispute that may not make it to court, but that's to be avoided. And frankly, in this dental world that we're in, there's no reason for it. You know, I, I, there's nothing that should be left to chance. Uh, you know, and we feel strongly about you know having our processes and jumping on the important things early to avoid problems and surprises down the road. You know, so whether you're talking about, you know, lean searches, making sure that there's no idle loan that's a lean on the practice, PPP issues, what does a third party lease look like? Has the practice, uh, if it's a PPO uh, heavy practice, is your buyer client uh, credentialed with those as an in-network provider at closing? Like, we'd like to get out in front of all those things. None of these things, Michael, are surprises. You know, like we do enough mm-hmm. of this. We know what needs to be done at the end. It's pretty late, right? Yeah, well, it, should play, be. it should be, right? And then, you know, it's like, you know, having that outline instead of like a boilerplate, I think almost a better way to put it is just an outline of what needs mm-hmm. to be done. And then there's actually doing it, you know, and if you do enough of these and you've been doing it, you know, large enough volume for a long enough time, you know, kind of what, what to look out for. And look, there's weird stuff that comes down the pipe all the time. We all had, time. It, you know, and like, that's like, wow, who would have ever thought that happened? That's I know. In a thousand, literally, we've done a thousand of these. That's never happened. I've been in the industry for 15 years and it blows my mind that I can run into a scenario that's never come up. How's that? That happens in your world all the time too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not all the time, but from time to time, you know, and, and I think that's one of the things that people have to realize that they're buying when they hire a consultant is you are getting advice and the advice is coming from somebody who's experienced. And through that experience, that person has experienced sort of the good and the bad of others. So, you know, you have the ability to leverage, you know, everybody else's good and bad decisions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and that's the advice you get. I would say just generally, though, with agreements, our philosophy is really to try to uh, come up with a contract and a deal that is good for both parties, you know, and I hate to say it's win-win, because that's just so trite. So many people throw that out. But, you know, we do talk about practice transitions. You know, this is, you know, you're selling a dental practice, you transition a dental practice, you buy a liquor store, right? You sell a furniture store, right? You, but you transition a dental practice. So whether you're talking about the sale or purchase of a practice or a buy-in or any kind of partnership, 
And frankly, Michael, any relationship for that matter, where there is a winner and a loser, that will generally be a bad relationship. Again, practice transition, partnership, attorney client, uh, a husband, you know, a, a, a marriage, you know, take, take your pick. Uh, a winner, uh, any of those arrangements that has a winner and a loser is, is doomed, you know, to fail. And, you know, because eventually the loser is going to wake up and say, why am I losing here? So when it comes to documents, we try to protect our client as much as possible, but we don't try to do it to, quote unquote, win the agreement to put the other side in peril. And I will say that, you know, that always used to be the case with these types of types of deals that we're talking about with dental practice transitions. And I've been representing dentists for 27 years. Uh, and however, in recent years, and especially in the last two years, the proliferation of DSOs and corporate buyers has really changed that mentality in a lot of settings. And in those groups, you, know, you really find that they are looking to quote unquote, win the deal, win the contract. And as a result, yeah. You know, there's a lot of really bad stuff in their agreements. And so yeah. and that's not just in a transition agreement either. Associate agreements too. You know, like what might the old school, old days of the five or six page owner operator agreement that was reasonable and fair for the associate has turned into this like 20 page potential house of horrors for a young associate that has the ability wow. to stymie their ability to transition into practice ownership uh, you know, in terms of notice periods, required terms, unreasonable covenants not to compete, that has just really changed the point where it's like, congratulations, employer, you quote unquote, won the deal, you know, but yeah. at what cost? So that's, that's our mindset. I mean, that is kind of the owner operator mindset. I mean, I think most of the people that are in the space that represent owner operators kind of play under, you know, in that, that game and that sandbox. But, you know, I, I'd be lying if I said that the other, the other crew isn't very involved in our industry too. And, and with that involvement, sometimes that stuff even trickles down to, uh, to the owner operator deals as well. Yeah. I, I like, I like that you're delineating that you're, you're right. I mean, it, it's almost become predatory in a lot of ways. It's mm -hmm. sad. It, um, you know, uh, my, my, you know, hundred deals in the last two years, um, all private practice. And I'm proud to say that that doesn't mean that someone's terrible for working with the DSO, but just big picture, like we, I, I'm pro pro ownership, pro private practice. We're trying to help clients get into ownership the right way, be better business people. And agreements are, are such an important thing to that process, uh, whether it's all the way from associate contract, which you outlined all the way through purchase and sale and so on. Um, I, ironically, um, I did a deal, uh, we bought a practice from a DSO <laughs> two mm. years ago and we got to experience the seller being that way. And it was really interesting going through that legal process and, and how they looked at certain things. And, and folks, I, I will say where there's smoke, there's fire because once something yeah. looks different than, than the outline that Robert just said to so follow your attorney's advice in that in that like when he outlines something and hey this is the standard but they're asking for this and it's completely different 
where there's smoke, there's fire, because we found after the transition that, okay, we, we conceded a little bit on, on a particular point. And ironically, post-sale, that was exactly what the problem was. So you can really smoke that out. Um, and so I actually wanted to ask Rob this today, um, kind of, kind of finishing up this last topic is like a lawsuit. Let's talk about like the worst case scenario. Okay. I find myself in a situation where the agreement that you help people put together protects us from a buyer's perspective to the T like if you're working with a great attorney, like, like Robert's firm and all of his wonderful attorneys, they're going to protect you from, from, from soup to nuts. Uh, but then the question is, is lawsuits afterwards. Like, let me give you an example. Um, we found a lot of things going on with the ARs. ARs are a common lawsuit situation. We found that they did steal some, some of our team members, just deliberately solicited. We, we found they took a couple sensors after the fact, just stuff where they blatantly broke the contract. Okay. It was in the contract. We have an argument, but the question for these private practices post sale is, do you take someone to court over $10,000? That tends to be a very frustrating thing as a consultant post close as we help doctors all the way through. And it's like, well, crap, are we really going to take this person to small claims court? We're going to win, but we're going to win $20,000 or something. And it's almost not worth it. What are your thoughts about that? Rob? I'm sure you've been in some of these legal disputes and, and is there really a, a winner going down that path? I'm going to knock on wood. It's very rare that we have that in, in our, in our deals. Very, very, very rare. Uh, I think most of it can be headed off. Uh, there are no winners in litigation ever. Um, and so it should be avoided at all costs. You know, it's really, I would say, you know, just at the outset, it really depends, Michael. You know, it's a case-by-case basis. But, you know, some things to think about. You know, if you're in a fee-for-service practice or if you're buying a fee-for-service practice, litigating with the seller hmm, may not be the greatest business plan for your, your practice transition. You know, if, if it's a PPO-based practice, hmm, you know, it doesn't matter as much. Uh, you know, you want to make sure that the agreement itself has language in there that allows you to recover your attorney's fees if you uh, prevail in that litigation. That should be, you know, as a matter of course in all these documents. And if anybody, any seller wants to try to negotiate that out of the deal, that's a, a huge red flag. Uh, but you should be able to get your legal fees. But even if you get your legal fees, that means, you know, a court would award those legal fees, maybe. If you prevail, uh, it doesn't mean that you would get all of them. And then on top of that, you still have to collect the money. So even if you quote unquote win the lawsuit, uh, the next step is collecting the money. And, you know, is there going to be anything there to get? You know, is it, does the, is the seller the practice entity uh, such that it no longer has any assets? Was the seller's principal a party to the agreement or were they a party to the indemnification, you know, or the rep and warranty that may have been breached? You know, all these things matter and factor into, you know, what, what can you possibly expect to get? Uh, you know, usually, and I put that in quotes, you know, the aggravation of collecting $10,000 doesn't justify collecting $10,000. There are, you know, you may occasionally see holdbacks, 
uh, where you know, the, the buyer, the seller doesn't receive all of the purchase price. Uh, that some things are escrowed um, for these types of issues. That's become increasingly rare. You know, it used to be you would see it sometime, but in most markets around the country, you know, it's very much a seller's market. And so if a seller has five potential buyers, why would they ever agree to that on a particular deal? Um, so, you know, but it does matter. It, it, it depends, uh, you know, on a case by case basis. And if you get burned for a hundred grand, uh, well, you know what, that might be time to think about, uh, about some litigation. Um, but um, if so much of it really can be headed off by not just the agreement, but it's the management of the deal leading up to the agreement, the administration of the agreement and making sure that everything that's, you know, out there has been, you know, looked at all the rocks have been you know, overturned and, you know, you've, you've done what you need to do to try to avoid that situation. Because, you know, anytime you go into a contract, you know, sort of the ability to litigate it or indemnification or those types of things, that's a last resort, you know, and I like to tell people, like, if you don't, if you don't trust the other person on the side of the deal or there are red flags that are out there, you know, like there's nothing in that contract that I can write to make an untrustworthy person trustworthy. You well know? Like, said. Yeah. I don't have that power. You know, I wish <laughs> I did. Like, well, and if I did, I would double my rates, you know, but, yeah, um, right. you know, like it's just, that is this doc, these documents are, you know, the ticket to the lawsuit, so to speak. So mm. uh, it should be the fallback not the, hey, I don't, don't worry about it. You know, if it's wrong or bad, we'll just sue them. No, you know, that, that's, not, that's not the right mindset. Yeah, in, fa in fact, like you said, you started off with worst case scenario, at all costs, avoid it. It's, it's, it's like war. I mean, you, you don't want to do that if you, can, if you can work through it. You know, we just came off of Shark Week with all of practice brokers being interviewed and and even before all of those interviews, we talked about how to find practices without brokers. And I would say that in the times that I've had issues where we were protected, but we just didn't want to go down the path of litigation, practice broker played a really cool role in helping a seller not make the wrong decisions post-close. And and that that should be talked about. like. Uh, that, that, that practice brokers can actually be advocates for the buyers. Because again, to, to, to reiterate and say it again, you've heard folks, you've heard it throughout the entire uh, process here is that we are doing transitions. We are transitioning businesses. This is a business of passing goodwill, passing team, passing, passing uh, patients. And so it, it's still very much that even though the DSOs are kind of messing it up, like you said, but it still is, the majority is still like that and the practice brokers also want the buyer to be successful because they want you to call them and sell their practice someday and so just big picture this is still very much a relationship business i love that about us and um between all of the professionals um they, they can help mitigate these lawsuits i i will uh i will also say again that having all of these professionals, I've said it before, I'm picking a percentage out of the air, but your professionals, all the people that are gonna help you can mitigate risk, maybe 50%, 40% of the risk of the success post-close. Rob's gonna do his job, I'm gonna do my job, you're gonna know the CPA is gonna do their job, the bank's gonna do their job. 
at the end of the day, you still have to pick up the hand pieces and deliver a great skill and a, a service, connect with the patients, do a great job with the team, make everybody feel great after transition. At the end of the day, we can only save the deal so much. And to Rob's point, the seller, the seller can be a jerk and we can't change that, <laughs> you know, uh, but there's only so much. So there's always going to be risk in the deal, bottom line. But the goal with all these professionals that you hire is to mitigate risk. There's always going to be risk, bottom line. Yep. So with that being said, Rob, final thoughts. Um, I, I really enjoyed our conversation and, and it's a good thing you did throw out that 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 uh that consent in the beginning because i really asked you some tough questions so you did a great job handling it any final any final thoughts i mean uh i i've really appreciated you being on here any any last minute things golden nuggets you'd give my my followers yeah i think you know kind of tagging along on that sort of the importance of being engaged and involved in your practice not just being checked out and abdicating you know responsibility uh yeah, it, it's owning your prof own professional practice can be a very rewarding, cool thing. Um, you know, and I have had my practice now, it'll be 25 years in, in July. Um, I can't say that every day is the most awesome day, but it's, you know, I still <laughs> am glad I did it and I enjoy doing it. Uh, but it, it's a tricky thing to run a professional business, a professional practice business. And, you know, know that, you know, every day you're going to be dealing with that, you know, somewhat competing interests of running a business and rendering professional services. And that's, it's a big challenge, you know, and some days you're going to do better at it than others, you know, but uh, you can't just be it. If you're a practice owner, you can't just be a dentist or you can't just be a business person. Uh, and uh, it's a challenge that, you know, presents itself to me on a regular basis, you know, and it's a, you, in, in some days, like I said, you're better at it than others, but realize that both of those components are important if you're going to be a practice owner. And it's something that you will practice and work on, on a regular basis. Uh, don't be hard on yourself when, you know, you make a business decision that's not maybe the best, uh, or if something clinically isn't, you know, the greatest thing that you've ever done, uh, you know, I think you have to be, uh, you know, be, be kind to yourself and, and know that that challenge exists. And, and it's something that you will will work on throughout your practice ownership journey. Um, and, you know, I think, but it's a great thing. And, you know, despite all the chicken littles running around out there saying, you know, the, the, the world of the owner operator owned, you know, dental practice is gone. DSOs and corporations are here forever. I'm like, yeah. I'm not buying it. I mean, I was representing dentists in the, the early and mid nineties when there were a lot of IPOs that were, that were out there and dentists uh, and dental practices were being rolled up. And then, you know, one day market conditions changed and they all went away. That's not going to happen now. I mean, DSOs have, have penetrated the, the, the space to a point where they're not leaving one day, but, you know, by the same token, uh, I don't see a, a world that, uh, that no private ownership of dental practices exists in. So, uh, you know, I encourage everybody to, to evaluate it. And if it's for you, great. And if it's not, as you said, Michael, you know, it's fine to just be a dentist and be an associate. And there's plenty of opportunities for folks out there for that as well.
I couldn't have wrapped up uh, an episode better. It, you just heard it from a legend in the industry, uh, advocate of, of you all. Um, and uh, th- thanks, Rob, for, for being on the show and, and giving us these these uh, the, the tips and tricks and giving back in, to the industry. I just want to remind everybody below in the show notes, we're going to have all of Rob's contact information. Again, reminder, yourdentallawyer.com. You can get a hold of Rob himself and, and work with his his great team. The other plug there is the Dental Amigos, a great show. I've listened to it many times, and um, this makes us partners. Um, and uh, th- thanks again for, for giving us your time today. And, and no, folks, he's not going to send out bills to everybody. This was all for you guys. This was all for you. So thank you, sir. We appreciate hey, it. Thanks for having me, Michael. And I will say one of the great things too about the podcasting world is I, I truly believe there's no such thing as competition in the podcasting space. You know, it truly is <laughs> it's you not. Know, the, the brotherhood and the sisterhood of, you know, yeah. people sharing ideas and doing things. And hopefully that never changes in the podcasting world. So, you know, it's been a blast being on here. I appreciate the opportunity and, and thanks so much for having me. You're the man, buddy. All right, we'll talk soon. Thanks again. Thank you. Tune in next time for another truth-filled episode of Acquisition Unscripted. We want to hear from you. Interact with your host, Michael Dencio. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Comment and subscribe.